Good morning. It's wonderful to see this great assembly here today. We've got a good number here today. Uh, We're certainly blessed with several who are visiting with us. We're honored to have you here with us today, and we hope that you're treated in such a way that you'll want to come back and be with us any time that you can possibly do so. Of course, Bob mentioned the fact that they are back from Panama And uh, we certainly are looking forward to hearing about those results sometime in the near future. I've heard many good things about uh, the work there. And uh, we appreciate the 16 or 17 that went and their safety and the success that they've had. Of course, we want you to stay after services this morning. Today's a very special day for this congregation. Little Webb Cannon's going to be a year old this coming Tuesday. And so we're going to have a congregational fellowship meal following our service today it's been decorated nicely down there we're going to have lots of good food and we're just going to take some time and celebrate the fact that this child is with us today and is doing so well the family's here and uh, uh, there's going to be a slideshow presentation I understand there may be a few words that will be spoken as well We want you to stay. If you are visiting with us today as our guest, plan to stay. There'll be plenty of food. I can assure you of that. Uh, We always have more than enough. Uh, We usually can feed twice as many people as we do. So plan to stay for that. And it's just going to be a time of celebration and thanksgiving uh, for all that God has done for Little Webb. So make your plans to stay after following our morning service. I've got the clicker in my hand, and why I do not know, I prepared a PowerPoint, but for some reason it wasn't emailed in the way that it should have been emailed, and so there is no PowerPoint today, but habit caused me to pick this up, and I was just about to click on something, even though I know that nothing would be there, and I like today better without a PowerPoint anyway. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews, who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I believe there are three points that are implied by this statement. One point implied is that man is in a condition of bondage because of his sin. In fact, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, make it very clear that our iniquities separate us from God. Our sins hide his face from us so that he will not hear. And so man is in sin, an unsaved state of spiritual slavery to Satan. In fact, Paul in Romans, the sixth chapter, made it very clear in verse 16, beginning of how brethren had been the servants of sin, and yet they were later servants of righteousness by virtue of the fact that they had obeyed from the heart that form, that pattern of teaching that had been delivered to them. And so man in sin is not free. He's enslaved. I think a second point implied by this statement is that there is a means by which man can be delivered from this servitude. Folks, this is a statement of hope. 
This is a statement of assurance. The gospel means good news. And the good news is today that we who were once without hope and without Christ now have hope because of what Jesus Christ did for us. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I believe today that we ought to be able to live every single day in an attitude of victory and optimism and confidence because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. He gave himself for us. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I think a third statement implied by this passage is that truth is the key that unlocks the shackles of sin and bondage. You might think about one who's bound hand and foot with chains and locks. You know, the locks can be opened, the bonds can be removed, but only if you have the proper key. Now, spiritually speaking, the truth of God is the key that unlocks the soul of man from the grip of Satan. I want to suggest to you this morning that truth does, in fact, matter. You know, in spite of the fact that truth is the only means of deliverance, it seems to make little difference to many people if the truth is unheard or unbelieved or unfollowed. With many, truth today is not really all that important because many people are just willing to follow whatever they want or whatever they desire, thinking that truth and error somehow will produce the same desired results. Many people today have been deceived into believing a lie and still think that all is well with their souls. In fact, there are actually religious leaders that contend today that, that what you believe is not nearly as important as being honest and sincere about what you believe. And I don't think it's too much of a charge to make against the religious world that most denominational bodies today either preach or practice just such an attitude toward the revealed truth of God. Honesty and sincerity, though essential, though very admirable, we certainly admire and appreciate sincerity and honesty in any individual, we need to realize that honesty and sincerity will not save unless that which is believed and obeyed is the truth. Now, you might think about this attitude in other realms of life, and I think you can very easily see how absurd it is. You know, suppose, for example, you go to the medicine cabinet, and you take some pills from it, thinking they're one thing, but you're mistaken about it. Are you going to receive the same desired results? regardless of what you may honestly and sincerely take? Of course not. 
You know, there are people who have died from taking the wrong medicine accidentally. Or suppose an individual is driving headlong and sincerely down a road with the idea that he's going in a certain direction, he's going toward a certain destination, honestly and sincerely thinking that he's on the right road. Will he still arrive at his desired destination even though he's on the wrong road? Of course not. But you know another fact that I believe is evidenced in these words of Jesus is the fact that truth can be known. You know, with so many people today declaring that we really can't be sure about anything anymore, Jesus said here, we can know the truth. Furthermore, unless we know it, we cannot ever be free from that bondage that ensnares us. You know, this idea that we hear oftentimes that all of us make mistakes and therefore, you know, nobody can really determine what's right or what's wrong. That idea contradicts what our Lord said here. I think it's a tragedy that even some leaders in the church have adopted this kind of foolishness. To some, you know, truth today is like looking for a black cat in a dark room that really isn't in the room to begin with. But, you know, that's not what the Lord taught. You know, many people today will say, and if you're listening to what they're saying, you'll hear them say, well, we all have our differing opinions. You know, you have a right to your opinion, and I have a right to my opinion. We all have differing opinions about different things, and they're even talking about things that Scripture deems to be essential. And certainly this idea of politically correct thinking and relativism in our culture is certainly making an impact as well. For example, take the issue of same-sex marriage. It's a topic that's being talked a lot about, isn't it, in our country today. We hear it on the news almost every day. We hear it being debated in the public arena. Now, I'm glad today that a majority of Americans still are opposed to the idea of same-sex marriage. I am thankful that a majority of Americans still hold the traditional view of marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman. But did you realize today among those ages 30 and under, raise your hand if you're 30 and under today. I remember when I could raise my hand not all that long ago, but time has just slipped away. But I want you to think about this. Those today in our country, ages 30 and under, 70% of all people in that age group are accepting of same-sex marriage. You folks are under a lot of pressure to conform. Now, this group is going to get older. This group is going to train the younger generation. And you see, it's not going to be very long at all till the majority in our country 
will be accepting of same-sex marriage. That's the direction that we're going. And when you go back to this idea of youth in America, I think about our young people today. I I think about uh, our teenagers and our college students and that age group. You know, things are a whole lot different for them than they were for me when I was a teenager. I don't know if it's the social media that's now available. I, I, I think it has a lot to do with the influence of media and television and the thinking in our culture that I've already touched on today. But it's a very difficult thing for a young person to do what's right in this culture in which we live. You know, it's generally accepted among the youth of America that, you know, you party till you drop, you drink till you're just about out of your mind. You know, that's just an acceptable thing. It's somewhat different than it was when maybe I was growing up. Premarital sex, sexual relationship, You know, you see on television and the movies, you know, the sexual relationship is just a part of the dating relationship. You know, this idea of abstaining from premarital sex, that idea is something that is foreign to the thoughts of many people today. It just doesn't go across in the thinking of our culture today. So our young people are under tremendous pressure to conform to this world and its standards in regard to to morality and things of this nature. But then you compound that with issues that are relative to what we're dealing with in the church today. For example, instrumental music and worship. You know, a growing number of young people today don't see anything at all wrong with instrumental music in worship. You know, why don't we use instruments of music in worship? Is it because that's how we've always done it? Is it because that's our tradition? There's not anything really wrong with it, but, you know, that's how we've always done it. Is that the reason that we do not use instruments of music in worship. You know, some people today say, well, you know, the Bible is just silent on that issue. The Bible really doesn't have a lot to say about worship and about how we approach God in worship. It's silent. And so, therefore, we are free to do what we desire. Well, when I turn to the New Testament, I see nine different times where the Bible tells us to sing. I think the New Testament is anything but silent on the issue. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, and verse 16. I think there's a reason why you can look at things from an historical vantage point, and you can observe from the time the church began... For a thousand years, instrumental music was never used in Christian worship. Now, why is that? It wasn't because instrumental music had not been invented yet. 
It wasn't because, you know, they didn't have instrumental music back then. That had nothing at all to do with it. The reason was, was because that's what God told us to do. He told us to sing. And the reason why we don't use instruments of music in worship is because we must respect the authority of the scriptures. That's the only reason. And we certainly never need to trivialize the authority of God. We never need to trivialize respecting the authority of God. God's authority means everything. And that's why we need to respect what the Bible says. Or we think about a a hot topic like marriage and divorce and remarriage. You know, when people that are involved in, let's just use the term controversial marriages for just a minute, and they come to the leadership of a particular church, how is that handled today? Well, here's how it's handled in a lot of places. A lot of churches now are taking the approach, well, here's some material about this particular view. Here's some more material about this particular view. Take it, read it for yourself, and decide for yourself. We're not going to have anything at all to do with it. Generally speaking, that's how it's handled, or it's just avoided altogether. Now, I turn to Matthew 19 and verse 9, and I read the words of Jesus, which are not difficult to understand. He said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. Whosoever marries her that is put away, doth commit adultery. You see, it doesn't need explaining. It just needs believing. It needs accepting. It needs obeying. Or you might think about something like the Lord's Supper, which is another issue that people seem to have trouble understanding. You know, it's not not an, uh, an uncommon occurrence today for churches to have the Lord's Supper on other nights other than the first day of the week when the early church assembled on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. Maybe they, churches do it on a Thursday night or a Saturday night. And you'll find a quite common occurrence for even those in a wedding ceremony to partake of the Lord's Supper. I think about one youth group in a church that were away on a retreat over the weekend. And for the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning when they had their own service, they just had Ritz crackers and they had orange juice and apple juice uh, as a part of the Lord's Supper. No credence given as to why we use the emblems that we use. Now here's what I'm saying today. This is really the reason I'm giving this lesson today. I want to challenge all of us. But I especially want to challenge our youth, our young people. I know we've got several Young people that have graduated from high school are going to graduate this afternoon. You're about to go off on your own. I want to challenge you, not just you, but every member here. I want to challenge you to know the truth. That's where it begins. We have to know the truth. 
But not only do we need to know the truth, we need to respect the truth when we know it. We need to respect the authority of God and not allow the culture that we live in today and the tense the, the tense and immense pressure that we feel to cause us to bow down and to give in. I, I want to challenge our young people to, to dare to be like Daniel. Don't conform to the culture around about you. Dare to be different. Dare to stand up. Dare to, first of all, know what you believe and then be true to those convictions to the point that you would even give your life in standing for those convictions. But you know, some people cry today, well, we just cannot see the Bible alike. Now, I'll agree we don't see the Bible alike, but that does not mean that we cannot see it alike. You know, this is the cry of religious people that, you know, want to justify division in the religious world today. Now, why would anybody want to justify division in view of our Lord's prayer for unity, and Paul's condemnation of division is really difficult to understand. You know, we can see it alike. One trouble is, I believe, is that many people are not hearing it alike. So many today and so much preaching today is colored with denominational dogma and creeds that misapply the truth so that it is covered over by the doctrines of men. We're trying to to appeal to people. We're trying to please ourselves and please others rather than trying to please God. You know, there's really only one way to understand something anyway. Everything else is to misunderstand it. Unless God has given us a book that calls for unity, but then makes it impossible. You see, some people today may be unknowingly blaming God and blaming his book for the confusion that exists religiously. You see, I may misunderstand, and you understand, and we're divided. You may misunderstand, and I understand, and we're divided. We may both misunderstand in different ways and we are divided, but when we both understand what God's book teaches, we're going to stand united. That's either true or the very division that God condemns is his own creation. But you know, again, somebody says we interpret things differently. I think this is a similar plea of those that really do not wish to be united as God teaches. Now, to interpret is to get the meaning. And unless God has given us more than one meaning, when we both interpret, we're going to be alike. And when either or both misinterpret, then we're going to have division. We're going to have confusion. Now, take the matter of baptism just for a moment this morning. That's a subject that is neither difficult. It's not complicated in any way whatsoever. In fact, you cannot misunderstand baptism without denominational help. When those in the New Testament heard gospel preaching, without exception, they were baptized. But today, so many people 
never hear the sermons that the early Christians preached and heard. And the result is many people today just about do anything and everything other than what the New Testament people obeyed. I was talking to an older preacher just a few days ago. This preacher is familiar to many of you. He is retired now, semi-retired, but this particular church hired a preacher four years ago. And as this preacher told me, his heart was breaking. He said, Doug, I've not heard one single sermon in four years on first principles. Not one single lesson. You see, so many people never hear what those early Christians heard. And you take the matter of baptism, for example. Peter said that one is to repent and to be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, that's as clear as it can be. The word translated for always points forward to the result and never backward. You see, nobody was ever baptized in the Bible record because they were already saved. The word means in order to. Here's a command that must be obeyed in order for sins to be remitted. And you see, no amount of interpretation is going to rewrite what Peter taught. People just simply need to submit to the teaching and quit trying to justify some of the code that omits it. Again, as to the form of baptism, that's not a heavy problem. The word baptize, in fact, it's transliterated from the original word baptizo. That word means to immerse. It means to submerge. It means to plunge beneath. Now, why would anybody want to argue for sprinkling or pouring as baptism. In either of those instances, the subject is neither submerged or immersed. Paul taught that Christians are buried in baptism. Romans 6, 3 and 4, Colossians 2 and verse 12. And so why would Paul's testimony ever be doubted? You see, it's not a difficult interpretation. We just need to know the teaching And obey the teaching. But somebody says, you know, great scholars and preachers today teach it otherwise. And of course, men often follow their own way rather than God's way. You know, I was given some advice as a young person long before I began preaching that my dad gave to me that still stands firm in my mind. My father told me years ago, he said, son... It doesn't matter how smart somebody else may be. It doesn't matter how many educational degrees somebody else may hold. If the truth is on your side, you can stand firm and in confidence in support of it. And truth always stands by itself. And what some scholar may declare does not alter the word of God in any way whatsoever. And so we need to follow 
what Jesus says, not what some man may say. We need to follow what his book says. But somebody says, you know, why are there all these contradictory doctrines being preached today? You know, if people really want to know what to do to be saved, they need to consult the giver of salvation, Jesus Christ. You know, don't go to your lawyer, to your banker, or your real estate agent, or to your theological doctor. You know, turn to the Bible and just read it for yourself. I remember several months ago when our president came out and gave his support for same-sex marriage. You remember this as well. He emphasized the fact that, you know, he had consulted several people. He had consulted many different sources. And as a result of consulting all those sources, his idea of approving same-sex marriage had evolved up until his current belief. Well, I can tell you one place he didn't consult. He didn't consult God's word. He didn't consult what God had to say about this issue of same-sex marriage. And so let's ask this important question. Let's ask preachers, what must I do to be saved? Well, one might answer nothing, that, you know, salvation is just by grace alone, and, and there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. In fact, many teach today that before you were even born, you were foreordained to heaven or hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. And yet, Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Matthew 7 and verse 21. Over and over again, the Bible emphasizes both God's part as well as man's part in saving man from sin. Preacher number two might answer the question, what must I do to be saved? By just believing. You just have faith only, a strong faith in God, and you can be saved. Again, James 2 and verse 24 says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Another preacher might tell you, you know, why don't you just accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior? If you'll just pray this prayer, the sinner's prayer, and allow Jesus to come into your heart, you will be saved. And yet the Bible nowhere teaches even one time of any person outside of Christ being saved as a result of praying. It's simply not there. But there's another preacher that stands in, with a Bible in his hand, and, you know, this preacher simply quoting what the Bible says. And when the question is asked, what must I do to be saved, he will tell you to believe in Christ With all of your heart, John 8 and verse 24. He'll tell you to repent of your sins like the Lord said in Luke 13, 3 and 5. He'll tell you to confess your faith in Christ and then to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And then be added to the church which is the saved, Acts 2 and verse 47. You see, while others were spouting their denominational doctrines and their own personal beliefs, this last preacher 
was simply telling you what the Bible says. Now, why don't all these preachers get together and teach the same thing? Well, the reason is they're not following the same standard. They're not following the same guide, the same rule. If they were, they would all be teaching the same thing. They would teach the truth, and the hearers that believed and obeyed the truth would be made free from the bondage of sin. Suppose tomorrow you go to the post office and and you mail a package. Regardless of what clerk may take care of you, you're going to pay the exact same postage for that package. Why? Because they're following the same standard. And whenever people today will simply follow the Bible, omitting their creeds and their manuals and their councils and their traditions and their ancestral hand-me-downs and you know their so-called latter-day revelations and If they'll simply omit those things and just follow the same standard, it will be the truth. That truth will deliver a person from sin. Jesus said so. I know time is away from me today, and I've got a few more things I want to say. And if I don't say it now, I don't guess I'll ever say it, or it'll be a while before I say it. So I'm going to go ahead this morning. I want to do this especially for our young people, especially for others who I think really need to understand this importance of knowing the truth. You know, we live in a very tumultuous time in the history of the church today. Over a hundred years ago, in 1906, the United States Census, for the very first time, recognized the division between churches of Christ and the disciples of Christ and Christian, the Christian church. Now, of course, that division had been building up for decades, and the reason for that division came down to the authority of the Scriptures. Are we going to respect what the Bible says as well as what it does not say? Now, folks, this was devastating for the church in many ways. Many good brethren, sadly, were swept away into error and denominationalism. People that should have known better. But of course, over the next few decades, the churches of Christ continued to preach the truth of God's word without addition, without subtraction, without modification. They spoke with conviction about uh, what the Bible says, and the result of that preaching and teaching was that churches of Christ became the fastest growing religious body in the United States. We went from the back alleys and the back streets to the front streets to bigger and better buildings, and the church grew, and then came the time when we became complacent. We wanted to to fit in more with those round about us. And now fast forward to 2013. And what we're seeing here is history repeating itself. What we're seeing today right now is another division that's taking place. And again, it goes back to the authority of the scriptures. 
And of course, our culture today, which emphasizes relativism, you know, that what is right and wrong is up to the individual, and as well as uh, our politically correct culture has simply added fuel to the fire. You see, just like a hundred years ago, this process began to manifest itself around 30 or so years ago when people began to question basic Bible teachings. And I think you can just look at our own city for an example. I was here in 1987, 1988, getting my master's degree at what is now Amridge University. And I remember very distinctly that back all those years ago, churches in this area were basically on the same page with maybe an exception or so. It would have been very difficult to to tell the difference between them because all the churches believed and taught the same things. They were autonomous, but they taught and believed the same things because they were all following the same standard. And now flash forward 25 years. And I want you to notice just for a moment as you think back, which churches have gone where? And ask the important question, why and how? You see, today there's a growing number of people in the church that don't see anything wrong with instrumental music in worship. They don't see anything wrong with the concept of having a praise team. You know, just think about that term, praise team. You have to try out to be on a praise team. I could never be on a praise team with my singing voice, they wouldn't allow me to have a a mic to save their life. It simply would not happen. What happened to people worshiping God and making a joyful noise to the Lord? Worshiping God is not for a group of specialized, trained voices that even occasionally come before the congregation and, and sing songs to the congregation. You see, the concept itself is foreign to the participative participles, the the emphasis on singing as we're sung to and speaking as we're spoken to, corporate worship. Many even today question the essentiality of baptism. There's an elder of the church in this state that has a blog in which he supports the concept that maybe baptism is not as essential as perhaps we thought it was in days past and gone. And of course, compromise in doctrine always leads to a compromise in lifestyle. And therefore, we see it today. Many people have no problem at all with immoral dancing. Many people have no problem in regard to the world standards of dress. Preaching today shies away from sin and it emphasizes a social gospel to the exclusion of those principles that will save the soul of men. And the result is today, many people have just lost their convictions about right and wrong and about what the Bible teaches. Do you know the thing that really breaks my heart? The thing that really saddens me and grieves me more than I can ever express in words is that the same thing is happening now 
as did a hundred years ago. Many good brethren are once again being swept away. Somebody says, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer's the same as it was then. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This morning, if you're subject to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.